is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I'm delighted to welcome Erin Seck to the show. Erin is going to be talking about the passion principle, a popular mantra for professional decision making. Erin, welcome. I'm really excited about our conversation. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So Erin, I'm a career coach and I'll tell you, it has always made me squirm when people say, find your passion. It causes uh, a lot of um, angst for many people because one, they don't necessarily even know what they're passionate about. And as your book so eloquently uh, illustrates, it can be a deceptive principle. So I want to first honor that you are a sociologist. And if you would set this up, what is the passion principle and why is it attractive but deceptive for so many? The passion principle is the general cultural idea that the best way for us to make career decisions, especially for the college educated, is to think about what we find most fulfilling and most self-expressive and follow that as our career path and not let things like job security and salary get in the way. Um, and I talk about in the book the way that these, these things can be um, problematic, not only for individual workers, but for society in general, but for the individual worker, this is such a um, seductive way to think about career decision making because we look out into the white collar labor force and we see the amount of overwork that's there. We see the expectations to be on all the time. And for many people look at that and say, well, if I'm going to be working 60, 70, 80 hours a week, I better love what I do. And so that seems like a really rational, a really logical way to go about making career decisions. Um, but one of the things that's really difficult with that kind of decision making, and it may be something that you instinctively uh, react to when hearing about people trying to seek their passion, is as a really risky way to think about making a career decision. For one, it's risky because um, of the kind of financial uh, and economic uh, constraints that that might put on individuals when they don't consider things like job security and salary in their career decision making. But as I talk about the one of the things that's so challenging is that when we seek meaning and fulfillment in our work and work takes over such a large place in our lives, a a footprint in, in our lives, we end up handing over this big piece of our of our um, meaning making projects to a realm that was not designed to help us do that. The workforce wasn't designed to help us in our in our active self expression, and so uh, we can be burned by uh, by that by losing a job by being rerouted in our career or in our organization. Yeah, it's it's classic vocation or or avocation. Mm -hmm. I, I'm curious because clearly the, the pandemic is global. We're st we are still navigating this journey and it's somewhat ambiguous. However, uh, it has impacted, we're hearing the great resignation. Others are calling it the great aspiration. And it's given people pause to reflect on what really matters. So how do you overlay a global pandemic with the passion principle? 
That's a great question. Um, <laughs> in fact, this book was ready to go to press right before the pandemic hit. And I told my editor, look, I need to refield one of the entire surveys uh, that I utilize in the book because I want to make sure that the passion principle is still around because the pandemic may completely reorient the way that people think about work. And it certainly has for many people, especially the college educated. This has been a moment of pause, a moment of reflection to say, what is my relationship to my paid work and where are the issues with it? And for many, they've looked at that relationship to work and said, I really don't like my job. Maybe I should uh, really follow my passion after all and go and, and take the leap uh, and leave a field that I have, uh, have a lot of training in or a lot of experience and seniority and pursue something that uh, may be risky but uh, is in line with my passion. And in fact, uh, some of the, the 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 research that I do around this book actually found that people who had lost a job or were furloughed as a result of the pandemic were actually more invested in the passion principle, more likely to want to prioritize passion seeking in their own career decision making than people whose jobs had remained stable over the course of that pandemic. So there is this sort of existential unsettling that's been happening around the way that people are thinking about work in the context of the pandemic. So are there any any uh, groups, Are there is there a demographic that will benefit from the passion principle? There are certainly groups that are more likely to be able to parlay their passion into gainful employment than others. Um, one of the one of the uh, central findings of the book is that uh, for college educated workers and college students, the desire to go and find your passion is pretty common. It doesn't vary very much across uh, demographic groups, but the ability to take one's passion and find employment varies drastically, especially by socioeconomic class. And this has to do with the fact that when we go and find jobs, it's not just the credential that we have in hand or our passion and, and hard work and investment in that, that it takes to find a job. But often, as I describe it, we need springboards and safety nets to be able to get jobs in our passion. Those safety nets are often for, for college graduates, things like parents that will help them pay their rent while they look for jobs that are aligned with their passion, or maybe a hefty savings account when people are in the midst of the, of the Great Resignation, changing jobs and, and getting training and retooling into something else. And then springboards are things like uh, social connections that one might have into a new industry or the ability to understand kind of culturally what the profession, uh, professional occupation landscape is and how to navigate it from a kind of cultural background setting. And so what I find is that um, uh, career aspirants and college educated workers who pursue their passion from, and are from low-income or first-generation college student backgrounds are more likely to end up in jobs that are outside their passion and really unstable compared to their uh, peers from more well-off families. Wow. The springboard and the safety net uh, concept is, is incredibly compelling. I, I found this really interesting in your book. You talk about how 
workers who are in jobs that they're not passionate about may be expected to pretend that they are. And you you reference a, a sandwich board that you saw in front of a Starbucks that read, our passion is to serve you. And you think, really? Are you just doing this for the money or are you totally passionate about serving me my coffee? So can you speak to that? Yeah. And that's one of those things that is the spillover effect of the sort of expectation and searching for passion among white collar workers is the expectation that people who have service industry jobs or even blue collar jobs are expected to perform their jobs as though they are passionate about it. And so that barista who is making the latte for you in Starbucks is not only expected to be nice, to be kind to the customer, to be sort of friendly and engaging, but to perform the making of the latte in a way that suggests that they are passionate about the latte making and passionate about the coffee itself. And that is an entirely uh, different level of expectation for the performance of somebody in that service sector job that can be exhausting because it's not just being nice to people, even maybe when they're grumpy to you, but this sort of sense of performing a kind of identity that is not necessarily authentic to a person that at the end of the day um, must feel very exhausting for um, for persons who are expected to perform passion that they don't have. Erin, this is a fascinating conversation and we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. I, I, I'm chuckling, not because I think it's funny, but because it's so relatable. I see these college billboards everywhere. Find your passion. We'll help you find your dream job. And, you know, it's pervasive in the career coaching space. And it just, personally, I think it's almost unethical to, to use that kind of language. And you reference that a lot in the book. So what are your thoughts on that? One of the things that's so striking about institutions of higher education in the United States, but I think in a lot of other um, Anglophone countries and European countries at this stage is the, is the push toward making it a kind of choose your own adventure space in a way yeah. that it, it, it was sort of in the past, but it really, really is now, right? The, the, the growth in kind of identify your own major and putting together these, these uh, curricula study that align with, with students' interests more and more uh, precisely and the goal and part of universities in doing that is to allow students to identify things that, that interest them more precisely so that they can get students in the door, right? <laughs> Colleges are, uh, are not quite businesses, but they in some ways act like businesses in terms of trying to get, you know, the most students to apply and in the door and things. And, um, and so this kind of catering to students' interests really aligns with that. But the problem is, um, there's no, there's little um, effort to try and even the playing field for students 
who come from really different kinds of socioeconomic backgrounds and choose the same major. So, um, you know, choosing a field like sports broadcasting or something like that, where um, the opportunities and the labor force tend to be pretty slim. It's the students who have the springboards and safety nets that can go on and get the employment where the students who don't have those things um, often are strapped with thousands of dollars in student loan debt and a real difficulty trying to get themselves um, stably employed, let alone uh, stably employed in something aligned with their passion. And so this push for institutions of higher education to really reiterate and, um, and articulate the passion principle to students really is a disservice to students. And I see that in the interviews that I did with career counselors and coaches as well, that there was um, there was a, a lack of reflexivity in terms of meeting students where they were about uh, how they should be making career decisions. And one of the most striking pieces of that, I think, are these kinds of intake assessments, um, the strong interest inventory, for example, that are often given to students. And what those what those uh, inventories often are, are students being asked about what their interests are, the things that they like. And then that gets actually translated into these uh, pieces of the, these careers that are uh, options for students that are actually kind of a quantification of their passion in a way that sort of seems uh, detached from, seems kind of objective in this in this uh, interesting way that can be difficult for students to kind of be able to walk back from and say, I really have a more holistic way of understanding what I want for my career that includes family time, time for leisure, more job stability, et cetera. And as a career coach, I think it's essential for us to to offer that reality check to say, okay, that might be your passion. Let's talk about what the earning potential is there and how you can create a livelihood or not. You might need three backup jobs, as you said, the safety net to make that happen. So I'm, I'm just so grateful for this, Erin. My gosh, we need every career coach to, to have a, a copy of your book. But I wanted I want to segue because... Is there a way to quantify what it means to like your job? Because I will say too, as a career coach, I don't want people to be miserable and, and earning tons of money if that's something that they value. We, we do strive to help people find a path that is enjoyable. So thoughts there. I'm not sure that there's a way to quantify it, but there's a way to think uh, more systematically. I think about the way that we might approach uh, assessing our relationship to paid employment. So one is the thing that's aligned with the passion principle. It's about how committed personally, invested personally are you in the substantive work that you're doing? So do you really love chemical engineering as a subject? Do you really love sociology as a subject? But then there's the relationships that you have with people in your workplace, whether there's the, the clients or your colleagues that can really bring a lot of enjoyment to the work. Um, and then there is the space that is left outside of work for us to engage in things that we find meaning in. And one of the things that I really encourage in the book is to do what I call diversifying our meaning-making portfolios. Uh, and by that, I mean, we should seek out ways beyond our paid employment to 
anchor our sense of self, our sense of meaning, our sense of identity, uh, just because having a wider array of places where that's anchored uh, takes away some of the risk if we lose our job or our job sort of drastically changes in a particular way. But in general, really thinking about how can I take the footprint of work in my life and actually tame it a little bit, reduce the, the demand, the expectation for me to be working so intensely or be so connected to my work all the time for uh, the many, many white collar workers uh, for whom that is uh, relevant. So is this an American phenomenon or are you seeing this around the world? It is. Uh, the research was done in an American context, but I I highly doubt that this is uh, an American-only phenomenon. And there's two reasons for that. One is the economic and cultural circumstances that led to the resonance of the passion principle, um, the increasing precarity over the last 40 years of the labor market, and this growing uh, demand for places for self-expression in our culture um, is something that is really common in many other Anglophone countries, many other European countries. But I'm finding um, pockets where this is being resonant in, in places that were sort of unexpected. So the book is being translated into Chinese. Um, there was uh, messages that were uh, uh, that come out of the book that are resonant in a Brazilian context. And I'm hearing from people that are having access to the book from a lot of other places that this is really consistent with the kinds of messages that are that are coming out of uh, the more uh, younger generations of career decision makers and college students. So Erin, I know that there are solutions, there are techniques, there are thoughts that you've written about. Help our audience know it, it's not a lost cause. There are solutions. And I'd love for you to just distill a nugget or two of uh, wisdom for current job seekers. Sure. So at the individual level, um, as I noted, think carefully about where you can find meaning and make sure that you are not uh, uh, putting the expectation for passion seeking on the young people in your lives, your children, your nieces and nephews, maybe the the the, the youngsters that you educate or mentor um, that give them the opportunity to have a more holistic understanding of what work means for them. But beyond that, we need to really support things that are more um, collectively oriented to help make work better for everyone, regardless if um, their work is their passion or not. So um, pushing back on the expectation expectations for overwork, um, things like better working conditions, more predictable hours will make work uh, more manageable for everyone, uh, not just those who are seeking their passion. Erin Sack, I learned so much from you today and I love the book and I'm grateful for our conversation today and I wish you continued success. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Hey, I want to tell everybody how we can buy the book and the name of the book. It's called The Trouble with Passion, How Searching for Fulfillment at Work Fosters Inequality. I'm game. I absolutely love it. And I've got a gorgeous copy of it in my hand. And I encourage you all to check it out. It's available on Amazon and all major book retailers. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new listeners find us online. And let me know what career-minded issues you would like for me to feature on a future show. You can find me on Twitter at cdowdhiggins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, 
Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dow Higgins. Thanks for listening.